Welcome to Thinking Out Loud, a podcast dedicated to being publicly curious about creativity, commerce, and culture. Hosted by myself, Nikita Walia, a brand builder and strategist with over a decade of experience. Together, we'll explore the many dimensions of modern brand building and how cultural codes evolve to build new models for commerce. I'm so excited for our first ever interview on Thinking Out Loud. Today's guest is Sarah Larson-Levy, the founder and CEO of a New York-based Y7 Studio. She's an innovator, entrepreneur, 200-hour registered yoga instructor, author, and certified health coach. And she's also a blank client. After working in fashion for five years, Sarah launched Y7 Studio at 26 as an answer to her personal desire for something other than the very traditional yoga practices offered. Since launching in 2013, the Y7 brand has expanded to be a national business with studios across New York and LA disrupting the fitness space and flexing real influence. Y7 classes combine 60 minutes of intensity with heat and strength, complemented by deep breathing to calm the mind. Sarah aims to break down the traditional barriers of yoga, making it accessible and inclusive in attitude and design with dark rooms, zero mirrors that all eliminate the distraction of physical comparison. She's one of entrepreneurs, 100 most powerful women. She's been on the cover of Inc. Magazine's annual 5,000 list. She's an all-star entrepreneur of the year. And I am so grateful to be able to talk about all things wellness and how the industry's evolved and how the dialogue around wellness continues to evolve online. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Sarah. I am so excited to have you here today. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I am good. I'm excited we made this happen and that you're feeling better. I know. I got I got taken down for a good week. So thank you for being flexible with me. All good. Well, I know I'm lucky enough to work on Y7 every single day and I've known you for quite a while, but I would love for you to share sort of your entrepreneurial journey and how Y7 really got started with everyone else. Yeah, I'd love to. So my name is Sarah Larson-Levy. Like Nikita said, I'm the founder and CEO of Y7 Studio. Our, I guess my journey to doing this was really, really interesting. I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately too, just because we're coming off of um, celebrating our nine-year anniversary earlier this week. A lot of people kind of ask, how I got here and how I started. And the truth really is I was looking for something that I couldn't find in the market. I wanted a super specific yoga experience and I just couldn't find it. So all of the elements you see in Y7, the dark room, the music, the candlelight, the heat, those are all things that I was craving in my personal practice. And I am have been lucky enough that a lot of other people feel the same way. Yeah, absolutely. How has like wellness culture evolved in the time you've owned Y7 and where do you see it going? Oh my gosh. When we started, we actually started as a pop-up. So this was just a fun little, like really like a side project. It was never supposed to like make money or be a real business. I, I had a career in fashion that I loved. I was at a brand and I was in sales and I truly loved it. I wasn't looking to kind of make a switch or anything like that. And we started this as just kind of a before work, after work weekend kind of thing. So we had two classes in the morning, 7 a.m., 8.15. And then I would go to work. And then we'd have a 7 p.m. and 8.15 p.m. And that was it on the weekdays. And then no classes on Friday. 
and then just a 10 a.m. and 11, 15 a.m. on the weekends. And that was it. And I started the studio while working my full-time job because it was just something I really cared about. I really cared about having a space where I felt comfortable enough to move my body and really explore everything that yoga has to offer. And when we started, this was oh God, summer of 2013. So this was the very beginning of boutique fitness. I think the only real like soul cycle was around, I think berries had started. It was nothing like it is today. And this is actually one of my favorite, favorite things. Mary Biggins, one of the co-founders of ClassPass, was one of our very first clients. And she asked us, this was when it was still called Classtivity. And she was like, hey, like I started this platform with you know, my business partner and it's a really great way to fill your classes. Do you guys want to try it? We're like, sure, why not? And lo and behold, there is class pass. And so it was really, really just the beginning. So we watched it become something that was really like, in my mind, kind of an afterthought. If you would have asked me in like 2013, 2014, like what I was doing after work, I'd been like, I'm going to get a drink. And now so many people's responses are a fitness class. Like that is something you base your day around. You're spending your $30 on a workout class rather than drinks. And it's become so interesting to really watch this kind of shift of culture in terms of first, it was kind of like you wanted to be at all these workout classes and you wanted to be the one who's trying all the new things. And since it's really in the last couple of years, at least, it's really become a form of self-care and routine. Yes, absolutely. And it's also interesting because I think like the time you guys started, that like quote unquote, like cool workouts were like Pilates and spin and yoga. And then I feel like there was a time, I think you guys have built like such a cult-like audience that maybe it didn't impact as much, but I feel like those fell off and then everyone was doing like hit. And now post pandemic, it's kind of back. There was a really funny period of time where there was a lot of hybrid workouts and just really interesting workouts. I remember this surfing one there was, do you remember that workout where it was like literal sand inside and there were surfboards? Yes, and there was like a weird surfboard and you would like stand on it, right? Yeah. And you do like yoga on the surfboard in the sand. <laughs> yes. But like, you know, it was just like, what can we, I also remember the class and it's still around. I don't know if they have a dedicated studio, but with the little like kangaroo, I don't know if you were a 90s kid, you definitely know what these are. They were the boots that you put on and you could like bounce on them. They're like feet trampolines. Mm -hmm. The moon boots? Kind of. Yeah, yeah. Not the moon boots. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. They were like a fun, like a pogo stick kind of thing. Also, everyone, please forgive me. I am pregnant. My brain is just doesn't work. But yeah, there's that workout that was like, it was like call. It was something like kangaroo. There was like all these hit and circuit workouts. There were, there was just so much and the market got so, so crowded and I think there definitely was a time where speaking of kind of brand and building this consistency, it's really like, I can't tell you how many times people are like, you should add weights. And you know, like it's a great feedback, but there are other studios that do weights so well. And it's not something that I, as the consumer who Y7 was built for and who loves Y7, it's not something I cared about. I want to do yoga. Like I want to flow class. And like, if I want to do weights, like I'll go to the gym. I don't know. It wasn't, you know, something I wanted to do. So we kind of made the decision really early on that 
we wanted to do one thing and we wanted to do it really, really well. One of my frustrations as I was before Y7 and starting my personal yoga journey was that I was so overwhelmed with the sheer amount of classes that were on the schedules of yoga studios that I was like, I'm so stressed out just trying to pick a class. And then I couldn't do it, you know? And then I was like, oh, I got to go to work or I got to do something else. And then I would just like never book it because I was so stressed out about like, what kind of class am I doing? Who's the teacher? Am I going to like it? Is it going to be worth my time? And I think that's something I recognize being in the city is so important. It's not just people paying us their money. It's them giving us their time. And I think in a lot of ways, that's a bigger commitment than the money, right? 100%. Because it's not even just being in the class, it's commuting there and then going home after. And you don't get that time back. Like You really don't. There's always money coming in. You get a paycheck the 1st, the 15th, whenever it is. And yes, you earn it, but you don't get that time back, right? And I was so frustrated because there were so many times that I would go to a yoga class and I thought I was going to be able to really get a lot of movement in. And it turns out I didn't. And I'd be like, well, now I feel like I have to go to the gym. So all the components of Y7 are really just meant to be like, this can be your one workout. And yoga to me is so challenging, not only physically, but mentally, because it's one of the only modalities of fitness where it's all on you. There's no resistance to turn up. There's no beat to ride faster to. There's no 60 seconds, give it your all, punch the bag as hard as you can. It is, you hold that plank and that's on you to hold that form, right? There's no assistance. There's nothing there. And so to me, that's such, that's a really, really interesting part of yoga. It's really challenging that mental aspect as well as that physical. So I wanted something where you could really, really push yourself if you wanted to and do every single thing that the teacher called for, do that extra chaturanga. Or there are some days where you're just like, just really, just really happy I made it here and I'm going to do my best. So I love that about yoga, that there's so much freedom in, in how you're feeling and what your personal goals are. Yeah. And I think you talked about how consistent Y7 is, like whatever class you go to, you get like a tough workout. And how did you land on that class format? We had been to just like, I think, trying a bunch of different yoga studios and knowing that vinyasa is this really... So vinyasa, for those who don't know, is a type of yoga practice where you're practicing one breath to movement. So you really get that flow and that kind of dancey energy feels a little more coordinated. I, something that really... And this is all, again, I realize this sounds very all about me, but something that I used to get very frustrated at, again, in my previous experiences was that you do a pose, say you do warrior two on your right side. That's the first time you do it. And, and you know, you're figuring out like where it is, how do you do it on your left side? And you're like, okay, I got it. I can't wait to do this pose again. And then you don't do it again. And then maybe you don't go to yoga for another week or two weeks. And you have to like re-remember your how it feels in your body. Is kind yeah. of recalibrating. So I really like that kind of repetition where it's like, I think it makes people feel like they're accomplishing something, right? And that is such an important mental part, I think, of any kind of workout is you want to feel like you are improving, like you are getting somewhere. And it's hard to do without repetition. And so this kind of format where you do the first two parts of the sequence together, and then the third, you do it on your own, is really kind of this magical experience of like, all right, I'm going to show you where we're going. 
The second time, you know where you're going, you're on pace. And the third time, it's like really giving you a chance to explore. Maybe you go a little bit deeper and maybe you try to balance for a little bit longer. Maybe you add an extra breath. Maybe you're going a little bit quicker. You're upping your pace and you're able to set your pace for that. And I think that's really, really important. So although we have this really incredible format that our clients can count on, they know when you go to a WeFlow hard class, three flows, you'll do each one three times. That third flow is going to be the peak of class and you will cool down. Goodbye. But within every class, there's going to be those little nuances and differences that you're going to get based on the instructor. And that keeps it really fresh while also keeping it consistent. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is the biggest bummer when you spend like $30 on a class and like, it's terrible. I know. And listen, like we're not perfect. We do our best, but I think something that, again, it has to do with people giving us their time. And when everyone I know is so crunched for time and choosing between this and that and how to spend their time, I think it's important that, you know, especially in the service industry, when you're providing a service that you're giving something to people that they can count on. Yeah, 100%. So I know you're a trained yoga instructor, but you make a big point to not be a teacher at the studio. Why is that? Yeah, you know, I made that choice early on. Again, it was something that I I noticed with other classes I was taking that, and there's nothing wrong with this. Like students will sometimes go places for a specific instructor and they will rely so heavily on that person and that person's presence. And this goes for any kind of studio that if that person has a life change or moves or switches studios, that they kind of fall off their own journeys. I really, really want is for our clients to be coming to the studio for themselves. I want people committing to going to yoga twice a week or however, once a week, whatever it is, because they want to do something for themselves. And I think when you talk about anyone who wants to make a life change or is having a hard time or is unhappy in a job, you know that as a friend or a family member, you can't force people to make those choices. They have to make it for themselves. And that's what I really wanted the studio to be about. I didn't want it to be about a specific teacher. I didn't want it to be about a specific person. I, it's not about me. It's about the people making the choice to come into that room every single day to do something for themselves. It's why we really stay away from a lot of, or do our best to stay away from teachers using a lot of like I language and really using more collective language because it's not about the teacher's, I don't know, morning run that they had and exactly what they discovered. Because the moment a student maybe hears, I went on a run and they're like, well, I don't run, they tune out, right? So learning how to reframe that as taking the teacher, reframing that as what they realized or what they learned on their run or whatever into more of a question and a suggestion to offer the room becomes much more impactful because it allows the student to take what they need from that experience. And everyone's going to be in a different place. You know, when you're speaking to 20, 30 people in a room, everyone's going to interpret that message a different way. And sometimes you really need that dharmic moment. And sometimes you don't. That's okay. So giving the freedom of choice and giving the freedom for the students to really make the experience what they want it to be and what they need, I think is really, really important. 
And, you know, you guys have been around for a while. You are some of the studios that actually survived COVID. Like, how do you think, one, how did you manage to do that in an industry that like got so decimated through COVID? And how do you feel like you've really built a very sustainable, memorable brand? Yeah, it was really hard. I think a lot of people don't realize that we were the last industry to reopen. And we were mandated closed by the federal government and the state governments of the states that we operated in. And that was really hard. You know, the restaurants and food and beverage industry, they ended up getting additional federal bailout that we didn't get. You know, yes, there were PPP loans that we were able to utilize, but unfortunately, we weren't able to get that much because we didn't have anyone on staff. So in order to get a lot of those loans, you still had to be operating. They were based off of your payroll. And since we weren't even doing a takeout business or a to-go business, we had nothing. We didn't have anything to base off of. So it was really, really challenging in a lot of ways. I had to make a lot of really tough decisions. We had to close about half of our locations knowing that, not me, I thought really like, I thought like, dumbly that this was going to be over in like a couple months. And obviously it's 2022 and we're still going strong. But my CFO at the time, Stephanie is an absolute angel, genius, like wizard, future predictor and was like, this is going to last for two years. I was like, girl, you're crazy. (laughs) And so we made some thanks to her. We made some really, really smart decisions. We made them quickly. And we were able to conserve what cash we had on hand to, we were thankfully able to give everyone at the company severance all the way from our part-time staff to our full-time staff we had to lay off. But we did that because we laid everyone off right away. We didn't do the furlough thing and we had the cash to do it. So a lot of our cash went to that and, you know, then kind of getting out of our leases, a lot of legal fees, a lot of things like that. But again, thanks to that kind of, early decision to really completely shut down operation early on, we were able to, again, make smart financial decisions. And it was hard. We didn't, you know, I was never really looking to go digital at all with Y7 because for me, the experience in the studio is something that's so difficult to replicate. You know, I can't force people to turn off their lights, light a candle, get a heater, a space heater in front of them or turn the heat up in their apartment or whatever it is. I can't force people to do that, right? So you really lose the in-studio aspect of what the class experience is. So my CMO at the time, Rox and I, we, we kind of sat down and we're like, all right, if we're going to do this digital thing, try, like we're not going to try and replicate it, right? It's impossible. So she is also a wizard and she built out our digital streaming platform in three weeks. And we were able to really serve our clients through that platform until we were able to reopen. So it definitely wasn't the same, but I think that just made people more excited to come back into the studio. It was like, you know, I have this online thing. It's great for, you know, when I have 30 minutes or I'm on vacation or whatever it is, God, I can't wait to get back into that hot little room. And that's what I think keeps people coming back is there's something you can't replicate with that. And that has to do again with the consistency, with the commitment that we held on to with like keeping the heat and making sure that we weren't trying to replicate an experience that wasn't going to measure up. So Y7 Online, I know 
that was sort of an accidental like platform that's like blossomed into something. Are you keeping it? Are you expanding it? We are going to keep it. We are actually under major construction on the back end. So nothing that our subscribers can see, but we are aimed for a massive, massive rolled out with some really exciting news come October. We've been working really hard on it for almost a year to get all the pieces put together. It's a lot more complicated than people realize and what I thought it was going to be. I was like, oh, I... <laughs> you were just like, I just need a teacher and a camera and some music, right? Like- <laughs> right? Like that's, that's how it works. Certainly not how it works. So we have a lot of really exciting updates that we're going to be rolling out come the fall that we're really stoked about. And I think people's lives have changed, obviously, a lot. And the way people commute and the way people work out and what they're looking for from their workouts have changed so much. So I'm excited to really be able to offer our online experience as well as our in-studio. So would you do anything differently if you restarted Y7? Sometimes I think about this a lot and I don't think so. You know, there's obviously been challenges and ups and downs, but I think that all of those things have made us a better company. And without challenges, there's no way to forge any growth. You have to, especially today, you have to be a business that's willing to change a little bit and to be able to pivot. And I think that's really important. It's important not to be so stuck in your ways that you can't open your eyes to how things are changing around you. So I think despite the challenges and things like that, I probably would have opened less studios in New York. We had 11 before the pandemic. They were all doing really well. But knowing how heavily we relied on that one market really hurt us during the pandemic. So I think looking at kind of like diversity of markets and really deciding what you want to do with the business is really important. So I think, and I would definitely have wanted to expand earlier into other cities that maybe were able to stay open or hold some form of classes through kind of the 18 month closures that we had. But, and I probably wouldn't have spent so much money on build outs. Yeah. I don't think people realize how hard it is to like own a physical business. Oh my gosh. Mason, who is my husband and my co-founder, and they were talking about that this morning because it is always something. Mm-hmm. It There's is always something. A plumbing issue, a toilet's broken, a handle fell off, the door won't lock. The heat is off. The air won't turn off. It's just always something. And there's, it's really just comes with having a physical space and one that's really high traffic too, right? Like if you own a boutique and you don't have hundreds of people using the toilet a day, then you probably don't have plumbing issues as much, but we do. So I think there's definitely things that we've learned as in the next year or so, as we start expanding our physical presence again, I'll probably invest in commercial toilets. <laughs> so there's little things like that, but I think in terms of the overall business, like I don't think there's anything I would, you know, specifically change at all. Hindsight is much clearer. I hate saying 2020 now because it's a little PTSD. But with hindsight, everything becomes much clearer and you really can, and you can learn a lot from the tough times. 100%. So you mentioned starting new locations, rebooting Y7. I know you guys are working with Lululemon and Mayor. So what is goal for Y7? What all is coming up next? Oh my gosh. We, you know, we just hit in June 
being open for a year. Wow. Yeah. I know, which is so crazy. In June 2021, we reopened our first two studios. When we get to September, the entire fleet of studios we have will have all been open for a year. So that'll give us some really good data on what growth looks like for us in the future in terms of physical studio locations. A lot of new markets that I'm looking at, which I'm really excited about. And we have this really amazing partnership that just became public with Lululemon in the mirror. And it's really amazing. We're excited to be able to bring what we do to already such a wonderful platform. And in yoga, I think they're kind of the standard when it comes to a brand that's really gotten its fit right, its fabrics right, and really works with a lot of the experts in the industry. So we're really excited to be a part of that family and that ecosystem. And we'll be, we've been very busy filming, but you will be able to see some of our instructors on there come September 15th. Wow. So it's crazy. You guys like obviously had to close and go away and now it feels like you're full steam ahead. I've had to be very patient. These last two years have been very frustrating for me. I am somebody who likes to build and grow. And as you can probably tell by everything I've said about how I was inspired for the Y7 format, I like to see progress. I like to feel like there's movement and I've had to be very patient the last two years as we rebuild. And it's really hard going from a super high growth, really fast growth company to kind of just maintenance mode and trying to recover. And it's been really tough, but I'm excited to hit this phase, hit the, hit the gas on this phase again. Yeah. And I think too, like in the last decade, like the role that brands play in people's lives has changed so much. Like personally, like what role do you think brands should play in culture? Do they really need to have a purpose? Should they have a purpose? That's so tough for me to say because I think that's so dependent on the brand. I think it depends if you're a product, what that product does, what purpose that serves. And this is the example I can think about, like the tongue scraper I use in the morning, like I, I, I don't know. I don't really pay attention. It's just, I don't even know what brand it is. So I, but I do think it is important that any brand who has a service that they are providing to people has an aspect of something that they stand for. It's important to me and it doesn't have to be important to everybody, but and I can only really speak for, you know, what we do, Y7, but service has always been something really important to me. I don't identify as a certain religion, but the service work that I do within the community has always been kind of my church, if you will. And there's always been something in my life that I'm doing that kind of gives back. I mean, I think that's part of the ecosystem, right? When you have, you give. So since... And it's hard to do because we're not, you know, we're not a charity. We still have to pay people and people want to be paid for their work and their time. So it's a really hard balance that I don't think a lot of consumers, especially in this kind of age of like super fast information and sharing and social media that people understand really what, what brands and kind of founders go through, you know, like people don't realize until, you know, someone sells their company or something like that, but like the founders, like we're the last ones to eat. Like it's, you know, you have your own company, like everyone gets paid and then you, and then you, and it's, and I'm so grateful, but it's really, 
it's hard to recognize that when everyone wants you to give back, but also pay more and do all these things. It's you have to find a really fine balance. So, but at Y7, we were able to have a really incredible scholarship program for our teacher training. So for our 200-hour teacher training and our 300-hour modules, we are able to offer fully paid scholarships and we have applications and a team that handles that, which is really amazing. These trainings can add up quite quickly and are you know cost prohibitive to a lot of people. So we're able to share what we do in that way. Um, we also have a program we started in 2018 called Freedom to Flow, where we partner with schools in the local areas that we're in and are able to offer some yoga, some breathing, some mindfulness, whatever kind of fits in with the curriculum to underserved communities. So maybe communities who don't have access to these kinds of techniques. And kids are kind of where my heart lives and where I love to give my service. I, I think that they're so smart and they're so aware. And if we can teach just one out of every five kids when they get frustrated or angry to take five breaths instead of lash out verbally or physically. It would change the world. It would change the world because how many adults do you know that have road rage or you see someone just like yell at a customer service agent and it's like just little things like that can make such a big impact in helping starting the emotional regulation process through really, really simple techniques early on. And I really think that so many of the issues that our country faces can be solved by providing equitable education to everybody and supportive education to everyone. It starts with kids. As adults, we all look at, we all have our Instagram accounts we follow that are the therapists and we're like, ah, my attachment style is. And it would be helpful if we kind of were steered in the right direction early on and we had those tools. So... I think, again, like that's something that as a company that is, we sell yoga classes. It is important for us to be able to share what we do with people who it's maybe cost prohibitive or, you know, who just don't have access to it. It's important to share what we have and we, what we are able to with other people. But again, I think that depends on your brand. Like, again, like, I don't know if I care who makes my tongue scraper. Like, I don't want it to be a child. Yeah, absolutely. But, you, know, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I don't think every brand needs to. And I think people also just need to realize that if you want to make a difference, you have to show up too. It's not on the businesses, just the businesses, especially small businesses of the world to take on every cause. And I think a lot of times we we look to those resources because they're, we see the numbers that are in the news or whatever it is. And we're like, they need to do more. And like, yeah, but also I think everyone could do a little more too. I mean, I think that's the hard thing. Like people think the government's going to save them or a brand is, but all of those things can be true. But like no major progress has happened in society without individual people taking the streets. Exactly. And I think too, it's like, if we don't, live our lives like we expect com- like companies are made up of people and if everybody does a little bit it's going to have a bigger impact right because we make we make up those companies as a whole and it's just like you said like nothing's ever been solved by you know we see these big donations that billionaires make 
and that's amazing, but it's just a part, right? It's not just the money. It's, it's the attitude. It's the empathy. It's how we're talking about the issues or things like that. It's, it's how we're communicating with each other. And so I think there's a lot of nuance when it comes to that and being a small business owner. And it's really challenging when everyone wants to put their, their morals onto you and wants to project them onto you. And it gets really heavy and there's only so much people can do. And it's hard. You're trying to be a bot. You're trying to be a really good manager. You're trying to run a profitable company so you can keep people employed. Because at the end of the day, if I did everything that everyone asked me to, like this company would be out of business tomorrow. And then you won't have a job. There's no chance to grow. There's no chance to give back. So it really is a balance and takes an understanding to know that things take time and changes don't happen overnight. And, you know, again, I think in this day and age, everyone wants that, like, that knee-jerk reaction right away to their response or to their angry tweet to customer service. They just want to react. They want a response and a solution right away. And that's not realistic all the time. And so I think there's a lot of, obviously there's a lot going on in the world, in our country. And I think that sometimes there's so much anger and frustration that it gets directed, you know, at the wrong people. On a slightly different note, I know when you started Y7, you were in your 20s, you were like doing the fashion girl thing. Oh, young and hip. (laughs) Now, you know, like you've grown this company, you have kids, you're married. Like how has that been? And how have you sort of like changed as a manager and leader over the years? Oh my goodness. Well, let me just say that for anyone who is a manager or has a team or is a founder or anything, it is, I think the people aspect is the most challenging part of the business because every human being is different. Everyone processes information differently. Everyone receives information differently. Everybody works at different paces in different ways, has different skills. And it's really so much individual management, but again, you're only one person. So you will have your own management style, your own communication style. And it's a really big learning curve. I think the biggest thing that I, and I continue to learn every day, is to really step back and listen. And also process, I think is important. I used to be someone not so long ago who wanted to know why things happened right away and wanted to solve it right away. It's not always going to happen. And sometimes if there's a heated moment or a sensitive topic, like you need to take a day to process your own emotion before you start to help somebody else, before you start to problem solve on something else. Because all of that can really get in the way of having a productive conversation, a productive solution that everyone feels that they are happy with and also can contribute to. And I, I worked with a leadership coach in probably like, oh, like 2017 up until like truly like 2020. I'm still in contact with her. She's so wonderful, but I worked really, really hard. We grew really fast. And in my previous job, I I really only managed like two people. Yeah. And suddenly it's like a hundred. And then it's like all these people and you're like, oh. <laughs> yeah. And it's a lot. And it can get overwhelming really quickly if you're not able to really compartmentalize and process things in a way where you can take emotion out of it. 
And I think that's the biggest thing for me that I continue. And it's something I still struggle with sometimes, you know, and I had to come to terms a long time ago that for better or worse, and again, there's nothing wrong with this. This is just a job for some people. And that is okay. That is okay. And I probably have to recognize that no one is going to care about this the way that I do. And again, that is okay. And it's not to say that like the people on my team don't care because they do immensely, but it's a different level when it's yours and you built it and you're not only financially responsible for everybody, but, you know, responsible for a big part of their lives. We spend so much time at work and focused on our jobs and you want everyone to be happy, but you also need the business to do well so people can earn a living. And there's so many complicated feelings about it. So I think that's always something I come back to and just know that like it's having realistic expectations of people too. And I even forgot what your question was. I'm sorry if I rambled on and on about this. You're perfect. I was asking you how you've like changed as a leader throughout the year. So I think I'm better. Yeah. I don't know. You'd have to ask me. You'd have to ask my team. (laughs) I'm going to like launch a secret Slack channel behind your back. I mean, I welcome the feedback. (laughs) So, you know, but I just... It's really hard. That growth is really hard and you have to be willing to take some hits to the ego. It is definitely hard because I think as a business owner myself, like you start the thing and you're like, no one's going to care about this. Like no one knows who I am, whatever. And then it like takes on a life of its own and you're still like back down here and like the anxiety and doubt of like, is this ever going to be a business? And then it grows <laughs> I'm like, still, I'm like, do people want this? I don't know. Am I doing a good job? I have no idea. Like, I don't know. You know, there's no one to tell us, hey, you're doing great, which I think you're doing, by the way, Nikita. I think you're doing great. Just so Thank you. Know. <laughs> but it's hard when you don't get that. We don't get that same reassurance as we would give to our team, right? Like, I know it was a tough week. I know a lot went on, but like, you're doing so great. Like, do not get down on yourself. Like, this is everything to be fine. We don't have that. Yeah, we just lay there and stare at the ceiling. <laughs> Literally though, like stare at the ceiling, you're like, okay, I guess I will move on to the next thing now. Yeah. <laughs> no, it is definitely, it is definitely like a marathon to run a business because you're always doing like some kind of like emotional work with yourself and then also dealing with someone calling you to tell you a toilet's broken. <laughs> like, yeah, and also, you know, we're also basically in the customer service industry, so... Some of the reviews we get are insane and my team gets yelled at and it's a lot of like, it has nothing to do with you. And it's so, that's how anytime I start to get frustrated, I'm like, okay, this is a challenge for you, Sarah, to to regulate yourself (laughs) and take a breath because yelling at somebody is not going to do anything. And it sucks for that person you're upset with. I think about this all the time with like everything in the last like couple of weeks with everything going on with all the airlines. I'm like, yeah, I feel so bad for those poor employees. Listen, and you know, I'm not going to Europe, so it's not my bag that is lost. But I was thinking these employees, I'm like, it is so not their fault. Like they're not like, they can't do anything and people are upset. Their stuff is, go- I, I get it from both sides, but it's like, oh man, what a mess. Yeah. Did you ever growing up like have a job in like a service industry? Like I was a hostess at a restaurant for a long time. Of course I did. And it totally, I feel like every day I like work in my business and I think about like what it was like being a hostess and it was the best training. 
<laughs> I think everybody should work a service industry job. I think that should be everybody's first job. I think everybody gets needs to be yelled at because their steak was too well done or whatever <laughs> it is. Like, and you're like, sir, you realize I'm just the waitress. Like, I literally did not cook your steak, but thank you so much for screaming at me. Really A plus. I think it is the best training, not only in terms of if you didn't get that, sorry, I waited tables. I was the cater waiter. I oh my gosh, I've been in the service industry since 16. So me, there's been no better training because you start to realize that like people are upset with you over something that you had nothing to do with. And you're like, oh wait, this is not about me. Someone is projecting whatever is going on with them onto you. And it builds, I think, strength in terms of being able to like really not take on other people's emotions and other people's stuff as your own. I think you can leave a situation where like, someone is not that nice to you. And you can take be like, why were they, was it me? Why were they so mean to me? And eventually after, you know, two or three of those interactions, you're like, this has nothing to do with me. So like, I'm not even going to like, goodbye. <laughs> like, I'm not yeah. even going to think about it. And I think that's an important lesson too. And just like relationships, like not taking on other people's stuff, right? Bottom line is I think everybody my children will be working service jobs. Yeah. I was like a camp counselor. I was a hostess. I even worked in the legislator's office. And the calls I used to get when I was at the legislator's office were like a trip. Oh my God. It was like the strangest assortment of like senior citizens that have nothing better to do and like call. And then there were like, just like randomly irate people. Like, I'm like, I'm not the DMV. I can't fix your license. Like I, I'm not, what? <laughs> I or, remember yeah. our, our previous national director of operations, Alex. She's one of my most favorite people in the world. She was so wonderful at dealing with unhappy clients. She would get on the phone with them and they would be apologizing to her by the end because so much was like, hey, so-and-so, are you okay? <laughs> and they'd be like, actually, I'm not. Oh my and goodness. it turned into something that had nothing to do with us. And that's an important lesson for people. And you only learn that by being in the service industry when literally like, I just imagine when things are like automated and like people order their food wrong on the app, like that's on you, not the server. It's this idea of responsibility and, you know, owning your mistake. And it always comes full circle for me. So I think it's really interesting. Yeah. And also like, maybe you saw that Atlantic article a couple of months ago about why like everyone is behaving so like weirdly and basically... The one that was like, America wants to speak with the manager. Yes. And basically like we all sat inside for so long that there are no social norms. (laughs) No. And I remember I said this to one of my operations coordinators the other day, I was like, I think, and this is a big generalization, but I think there's kind of two ways that people have re-entered the world. Angry and like the last two years were done to them purposefully or the people that have come out and been like, wow, shit, that was really hard. And like, I have a great support system and I was able to be with family. And that was still really hard for me. And you gain a little bit more empathy because you're able to see how people are acting and be like, that's ridiculous. But like, I feel bad for you at the same time, right? Like, that's at least how I've kind of come to think about it is when I see anyone who's like, especially adults, like acting out or is frustrated, I'm like, 
how sad it must be to like be in that headspace where you have to take your anger out on like, I don't know. A receptionist at a yoga studio. Yeah, like (laughs) what are you doing with like that? Like, and of course there's always cases where someone might be really rude to you and you're like, what is actually just happened? But like the end of the day, it's, I don't know, it's tough. I everything's been tough for people. So a little bit of grace and boundaries go a long way. I guess that flows perfectly into my next question, which is what is a piece of advice you have for somebody starting a business or a brand? Oh, Nikita, why you do this to me? Um, <laughs> oh, I mean, I could go on about everything, but I think the most successful brands and long lasting brands and impact brands come from are started all from a place of true passion and need in the founder's life. Again, we ta- I, we can relate this back to earlier when there was a time when like everyone was opening a workout studio because they were successful. If anyone ever came to me and was like, I'm going to studio, I'd be like, don't do it. Don't do it. That's exactly what I say when someone's like, I'm going to open a consultancy. I'm like, don't do it. <laughs> Unless you are ready. Like it is not all like, I laugh because you can like, it just like entrepreneurship gets this like amazing, like it gets so glamorized when meanwhile, I'm in my sweatpants till like three o'clock in the afternoon because I haven't had a second change. I'm on calls all day. Or, you know, with industries like mine, like our first classes start at 7 a.m. Shit goes down at 6 a.m. all the time. You're like, whoa, my God, it's very early. You know, this isn't something I don't turn off and, and that's okay. It's, it's my business. Like I'm on all the time. And it just is. It's not, you know, as sunshine and it's great, but it is really, really hard. hard. <laughs> it is really hard. So yeah, I think in order for anyone to start a successful brand or business, like you really have to want it. You really have to care. And you have to be the one that cares the most. Because everyone else can pick up on it if you don't care. Everyone else can pick up on it. And you have to be the one to carry that. And that is my best piece of advice because unless you're one of those like unicorn companies that gets bought for billions of dollars in like a year, like those first five years are slow. You through it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm at four going on five. So I feel you. <laughs> yeah. And that's when you start to get like big enough where you're like, oh, I need a team. And your job starts to become managing people. And not doing the thing. And not doing the thing. And that is a huge shift from just doing the thing and doing it on your own, right? And not having to talk to anyone else about what you're going to do. It's almost like a doubling back to where you were when you had a real job. Yeah. Yeah. It's, (laughs) It's so interesting. But that... The passion has to be there, I think. And the drive has to be there. Like you have to be able to like, basically like not be able to stand doing anything else in order to have a successful business. Like I would never start a business again. (laughs) Like I'm good. I would never start one again. I just wouldn't because this is, there's nothing else I care about as much as this. And if I'm not doing this, like I don't want to start another business. Set me up with your nine to five clock in at nine. Not think about work after five. Great. Because this is all I think about and I love it. So it's okay. But if you didn't love it and you were just doing it to like have a slide that's a total addressable market, (laughs) then it would not be the same thing. It certainly would not. Yeah. 
Well, it was so good to talk to you. Where can people find you? Oh, goodness. If people want to find me, I am at Sarah, S-A-R-A-H underscore Ayako, A-Y-A-K-O on both Instagram, TikTok, all the things. I don't really TikTok yet, but I'm working on it. We'll get you there. I know. (laughs) I know. I'm just 35, which I realize isn't old. I also feel like 27, but it's a lot of like tech for me. You do notice like your love, like I do notice now, like my level of like digital fluency, like my sister sent me a lookbook that her and her friends shot. And I was like, this is like better creative than I've seen out of most agencies. And you guys are like 19. Yeah, like the youth. Way to go. <laughs> yeah. Way to go, youth.